0: What's up church how you guys doing this morning all right good good you guys seem a little more chipper this morning than you were last week which is good um hey we got uh we got did you realize that there's only three more weeks until easter i think that's right maybe for three more sundays all right, including or not including today, so uh, it's coming uh, this year. We for Easter weekend we're gonna have four services, and so we'll have two on Saturday afternoon, and then we'll have our two on Sunday morning. So just want to make you guys all aware of that. Make sure you're uh, here for at least one of those services, and invite somebody to come along with you. Uh, it's one of the best times out of the year to that people are like open to going to church because I don't know. It's what what you do as an American, you know, on Easter, you go to church. And so um, make sure, you know, you use that and, uh, and invite people uh, to church this year. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be gearing up for Easter, and we're going to be talking about um, some of the things that Jesus did and some of the things that Jesus said as he was making his way towards Jerusalem. Actually, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he started getting ready for what we now call Um, Easter. Okay, he's getting ready for that day. And about a month or so before Jesus' death, he starts kind of this long trip back to, this long walk, back to Jerusalem. And uh, he, uh, as he's making his way uh, towards Jerusalem, he knows that he's going to be killed. Now, how many of you guys like to travel? Okay. Um, (laughs) That's good, I guess. (laughs) I don't know why I asked that. But uh, anyway, but... (laughs) But, uh, how, okay, let me say this. How many of you guys like to, so, we, so a lot of you guys like to travel, that's good. Um, how many of you guys like to fly, okay? Is that like your preferred method or you like to drive or, you know, whatever? Um, I have mentioned this before, but I hate flying, okay? I just do. And um, it's just not my, not my favorite thing. And it's not that I'm scared of flying or heights or, you know, claustrophobic or whatever that is. Um, it's not anything like that. It's, uh, I just don't, I just don't like it. You know how it is. Because you got to get to the airport like two hours early. And then you get there, you got to wait in lines. And then you got to take off your shoes. I find that very inconvenient. You know, I don't like to do that. Then you get in that thing and they're like, you know, do this. And I don't know what they can see. And I feel exposed. And I feel very uncomfortable. Any of you guys like that? It's just like, uh, you know what? okay, and um, and then you get in, you got to wait around in the concourse for a little while, and then you get on your plane, and as you step on that plane, I mean the air's just different in there it's like heavy because recycled air that they've been breathing in for like you know years I don't know how long that air has been in there and uh, and it, the plane smells you know it, it just has a a plane smell to it, and you get in, you sit in your little seat, and it's still kind of warm from the guy who sat there for the last four hours. Still there, and it's just, and then for me, there's always somebody around me who brings, like, their dinner with them, and it just stinks up the whole plane. You're just like, dude, come on, you couldn't have, like, we just sat there for an hour. You know, you couldn't have done that there. You got to do that while you're flying. What's up with that? Um, but uh, when we're flying, or as you're booking a flight, so, so I don't like flying. This is just not my favorite thing, but when I do book a flight, I'm trying to get to my destination as fast as possible. Does that make sense? Okay, we all agree with that. Um, that's what we all do. None of us, whenever we're trying to book a flight, do we get on Google or whatever and go, how many stops can I fit in there? You know, how many layovers can I get? How long can I make this flight? We don't do that. Nobody nobody does that. We want to get to our destination in the least amount of time with the least amount of stops. And it's interesting because as Jesus, 2,000 years ago, starts making his way towards Jerusalem, he doesn't do that. He takes his time. And he starts making his way uh, towards there. And uh, he, stopped, he starts stopping in town after town after town and village after village after village. And it takes him a few weeks. And during that period of time, what we have recorded for us here in the Bible, is that uh, we have the, the kind of the last things that Jesus said, and we have uh, kind of his, la- his last teachings, I guess. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to look- be looking at what Jesus said during those weeks as he's walking towards Jerusalem, and we're going to look at the things that he did, and uh, we're going to look at how those things apply to us as he makes his way uh, over there or towards Jerusalem, and so... Um, we're calling this series, the, you know, The Road to the Cross for the next few weeks. Now, for us, we have four different accounts, um, four different guys recorded this stuff for us, right? And a lot of us, we know this. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yeah. And so uh, Matthew and John, they were actually Jesus' disciples. So those two guys, they're like there, when all this stuff is happening, like when you read uh, their accounts of Jesus' life, I mean, they're, they're, they're eyewitnesses. They see this. They're there. They hear what Jesus has said, and they see what Jesus is doing. And then we got Mark. Mark, he was a younger guy. He was around, um, probably, a, probably a young teenager when Jesus was doing his ministry. And so Mark was around. He probably saw a lot of this stuff, but he wasn't around 100% of the time. And then today, what we're going to be looking specifically at is we are going to be looking at this guy named Luke who was a Greek doctor who lived during this time. And uh, we don't know much about him while Jesus was um, around doing his earthly ministry, but we do know that sometime after that, it seems like that he uh, decided to give his life to Jesus and believe that Jesus, after he was killed, actually was raised from the dead. And what Luke did is he investigated his the claims and he talked to enough people who had seen Jesus alive and heard the things that Jesus had said, and he concluded that Jesus was God, and that he was still alive. And that's what he writes in the book of Luke. That's what we see. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse of his, what we call a book, is really kind of a letter, um, he says this. He says, hey, many, he says, many people, many, many, many people have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He's saying, hey, many people have, like, um, Started to write all or started to bring like all the stories of this guy named Jesus and put it all together. And so he says, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed down to us. He's like, just to make sure that everybody, you know, that everything that we've heard is right. So he says, it also seemed good to me. Since I have carefully investigated, he's like, I've talked to people, I've researched, I've gone into this thing. I've talked to all the eyewitnesses. I wanted to see if this is actually real. And so he says, I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, the most honorable Theophilus. This is the guy that he's writing to. He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. He's like, I'm doing this. I'm compiling everything together into one like, document that I'm sending you into one letter so that you can have it. He's writing to this guy named Theophilus, but it really applies to all of us. He's saying so that you can know for certain that this stuff's true. He's like, I've dug in. I've investigated. I've looked this stuff up. I've talked to the people. I've done my research, and I've, and I've talked to all the eyewitnesses. And basically, when you're reading the book of Luke, here's Luke saying, hey, this is what happened. It's true. The things that you've heard about jesus it's it's true and one thing that he tells us about Jesus is long walk to Jerusalem um, the last few weeks before his death he, he talks about what Jesus uh, said and did and this is um, Luke tells us that as he's walking along one day he his disciples those that's like his um Jesus is like top guys, all right, those are his top followers, his his crew, they're walking along with them, they're all together, and uh, they, they come to this area called Perea, and people are coming from everywhere. I mean, this is very, very... Normal for Jesus during the three years that he was doing his like public ministry is that when Jesus was around, everybody wanted to see who Jesus was and they wanted to hear what Jesus was going to say because Jesus was doing things that nobody had ever seen anybody do before. I mean, he's healing people, he's doing this, he's doing that, and Jesus is saying things that nobody had ever heard anybody say before. And so everybody wants to get a glimpse of this Jesus guy, and it's so interesting to me that Jesus, like, if we're honest with ourselves, we could probably classify him as like the ultimate religious leader. I mean, think about it. It's God wrapped in like human flesh, okay? Like in a human body. But Jesus, while he was here, even though we would say, yeah, ultimate religious leader, Jesus, he did not gravitate towards religious people. In fact, Jesus constantly butt heads with religious people. And so people who are nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and Jesus liked them back. And so Jesus begins to teach, which is what he did. People would come from all around. People are asking him to do things. They're asking him questions. And Jesus, a lot of times, he decides to teach. And he, um, what we're going to be looking at today, Jesus tells them a story. This is what we call a parable. Um, it's a story that's not necessarily true. He's making it up, um, but he's using it to prove a point. He's using it to teach. And so that's where the importance comes from. So uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 10. This is how Jesus starts off. So he's, Got a crowd of people around um, in this region called Perea on his way to Jerusalem. And he and everybody wants to hear what he's going to say. So this is what he says. He says, picture this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. Now there's a couple things you got to understand that the crowd totally understood uh, back then. But And we've talked about this a lot here at, here at Grace and so most of you guys get it. But a Pharisee is like... Um, these are like ultra religious people. I mean, these guys were kind of crazy. They uh, were super, you know, intense rule followers. You know, rule followers. Okay, you guys know people who are like, yeah, they don't break the rules. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's your sister growing up. You know? Okay. So like, you know, the Pharisees were crazy. I mean, they were they were ten times worse than than your older sister or whoever. Um, uh, these guys these guys were experts in religion. They memorized. They had the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. Those aren't like Short books. They're not like interesting, you know, parts of them aren't like interesting books either. And so they had this stuff, you know, just just memorized, and they did all the right stuff. So Jesus is pointing this out. The crowd totally gets it. They're like, wow, okay, Pharisee equals good guy. That's awesome. He's going to the temple. Um, That makes sense. He's going to pray. That's what Pharisees did. Okay, so so that's good. But then Jesus also mentions this other guy who's a tax collector. Now, we just talked about tax collectors just a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this guy named Zacchaeus. Do you guys remember that? Okay, good, all right. And um, Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus, remember, he goes and he stays the, the, the day at Zacchaeus' house. Remember what all the Jewish people, when they see Jesus leaving with him do? Remember they grumble and complain? They're like, I can't believe he's going with a tax collector. I can't believe he's hanging out with him. That doesn't make any sense. That guy is so messed up. And they were kind of right. When we hear tax collector, I mean, think about it as like an IRS agent, okay? Not somebody you ever want to be friends with because they take all your money. Ugh. Anyway. These guys are like, these guys are worse than that. These guys are like the scum of society. Um, They're the worst of the worst. This is like Jim Harbaugh level people, okay? (laughs) I know you guys understand that. And so these guys are just messed up. And uh, these guys, what they did, the reason for that is, um, the reason why they were hated by everybody is because these are Jewish people, who worked for the Roman government, a foreign oppressive government who did terrible things to uh, other people groups. And uh, and so these guys, these tax collectors, actually worked for them and they collected taxes from their fellow Jewish people and gave the money to Rome. But not just that, they would actually collect more than Rome wanted from their fellow Jewish people and they would keep the rest for themselves. They would skim that off the top and keep it for for themselves. And so they cheated people. And these guys, there's nothing that anybody could do because these guys, they did it lawfully because that was legal to do back then. And so these guys are one of those. And so the people, the crowd that Jesus is talking to, they hate this guy. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. A Pharisee is good. Tax collector is like the worst of the worst. The scum of society. Terrible, terrible, terrible person. He's a traitor to his country. And so Jesus starts off with the story. He's like, yeah, both men go into the temple, two very opposite men. And this is what the Pharisee prays. He says, the Pharisee guy, he's standing, and he's praying like this about himself. He says, hey, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, the greedy people, the unrighteous people, the adulterers, or even like, he kind of looks off, and he sees the tax collector, and he's like, thank you I'm not like this guy, this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. So here's this guy. He's all about doing good. We know that. He's all about following the rules. He does all the right stuff. He follows all the right rituals. I mean, think about it. He's in the temple. That's where they, that's where they were. What's he doing? He's praying. That's a good thing to do. And uh, we look at this guy, and the, really the crowd look at this, looks at this guy and says, yeah, yeah, this guy's pretty religious. Like, this is your typical religious guy. I mean, this is a good guy. Like, if anybody's going to heaven... It's this guy. Like, that's how we automatically think. That's what the crowd automatically thinks, and that's what we, that's, like, how we tend to think. I mean, think about it. Think about the, the best person that you know of, like, morally good person, the best morally, the goodest, good, I don't know, whatever, um, morally person that you know, right? Like, great aunt Gertrude, okay? I had a great aunt Gertrude. Um like, like, think about it, you know, you're just like, or your great-grandma or, or whoever, your grandma, and it's just like, you know that person, you know, she was so good. She never did anything wrong, she never hurt anybody, always had a smile on her face. I mean, this is, this is what we think. And so, for us, it's like, I know, because of her goodness, that she's going to heaven. You know, I know she's right with God, right? That's what the people were thinking about this Pharisee, just like we think about people in our lives that we view as morally good. But this guy has a problem, and Jesus is about to point it out. See, this guy, he judges his morality not on God's standards, but on the next guy over, which is what we all do. And because of that, he feels pretty good about himself. And he's really, really good at following rules. I mean, he's already said how good he is, right? He's not greedy. That's good. I think we can all agree with that. He's righteous. That's good. He refuses to cheat on his wife. That's probably a pretty good thing. Um, He's a rule follower. He fasts not once a week. He fasts twice a week. That means two days out of the week, he just refuses to eat, and he just devotes that day to God. He devotes that day to praying to God. Uh, He gives 10% of his money back to God. I mean, he does all this good stuff. This guy, if you're honest with yourself, I mean, let's, let's be honest real quick. Like, this guy is better than me or you. I mean, he's just a better person. He's morally better than you or I are on a regular basis. I mean, this guy's got it all down. And so Jesus, he points this out, and so everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense that he would pray that? That makes sense that he's a lot better guy than that tax collector? And then Jesus points out what the tax collector says. He says, but the tax collector, standing far off, he would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this one, the tax collector, went down to his house. He left to his house justified rather than the Pharisee because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so when Jesus says that, basically saying, hey, the tax collector in their prayers, they're both in the temple, they're doing their thing, he says, actually, in this case, the tax collector is justified and the Pharisee, the religious guy, is not. And so everybody listening, the whole crowd, they're just like, what? What? Whoa, Jesus, you got that flipped. I don't know, you haven't been in the area very long. You know, do you understand what's going on? Like, like no, no, Jesus, you don't get it. Like, that guy, the, do you know what the task, you know what they do? You know how rotten those people are? You know how good the, like, like these people, they can't get it. This is shocking. And what Jesus is doing, he's kind of turning these people's worlds or their, their worldview upside down. And he's deconstructing the world as they knew it and as we know it. And he's reconstructing the world as he created it. By the way, Jesus is not saying in the story that, hey, there's one good guy and one bad guy. That's not what he's saying at all. See, that's how we kind of separate things. Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's two bad guys here. There's two guys who are not good. There's two unrighteous people, but only one realizes it. And that's where a lot of us are at, if we're honest with ourselves. Like, think about it. We think we're good. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people, right? Um, very few people in my life that I've been talking to, like, very few people say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a horrible, I'm just evil. Like, you don't, you don't hear people say that much. Um, usually when you're talking to people, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I try to be good. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good person. And what we're doing is the reason why we think we're so good Is because we compare ourselves to others, just like this guy in the story, okay? We compare ourselves to others. And by the way, we totally get, like, you know, we can see news, we see the world around us. Like, there's people out there who do some terrible, terrible, terrible things. And so it's pretty easy for us to look at somebody who does something really bad and say, well, I've never done that. That must make me pretty good, you know? Like, this is how we naturally think. And so it's really easy for us to do that. But we should be comparing ourselves not to the next guy over, or the person at work, or one of our family members, or the person on the news, or whoever. We should be comparing ourselves to God. And none of us come close. I mean, none of us do. And the truth is that there's many, 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 many people who will spend their 80 to 90 years managing their religion... By the way, when I use the word religion, how I define it as it's a bunch of do's and don'ts of how do you get into heaven. Okay, that's what religion is. All right, religion in general is like, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, and then maybe God will look at you and find favor on you and say, wow, you really oppressed me today. I'm gonna let you into the club. Like that's how we view religion. That is a completely opposite of what Jesus ever taught. Uh, religion is just a list of rules that we have to follow to appease God, so God will be happy with us, so then we can get you know into heaven. And so there's a lot of people out there that will spend their 80 to 90 years managing their goodness, and they're gonna die. And what the Bible says, I'm not saying this, the Bible says they're going to die and go to hell because they're trusting in themselves to get them to heaven and not God. It's almost like what we do is we view God as our employer. You know, like think about your relationship with your boss, and this doesn't apply to everybody, but for most people, you know, or the company that you work for. Like your employer will, you know, we think, hey, our employer will like us if we just do what they say. If we just follow the rules, we do what we're supposed to do, you know, every, uh, our employer will like us, and it doesn't really matter if we have a real relationship or a tight relationship with them or not. That's like beside the point. I just do what they say, and they pay up for me at the end. Okay, that's like our employer relationship that we have. But that's not the type of relationship that we're supposed to have with God. We should view God as our Father. He's supposed to be like our Dad, who loves us regardless of what, what we do. Regardless of whether we obey the rules or whatever or not, who wants, by the way, a tight relationship with us more than anything. And actually, this is what we were created to have, and we're just not that interested. We just want him to pay up at the end. God, you know, our thing is like, hey, God, I don't really want a relationship with you, even though, you know, I was created to have one, and, and that's, you know, part of the reason why I'm here. But um, what I really want is you just to tell me what I got to do, like give me the list of things to do. I'll try to do those things the best that I can, and then I will just want you to give me heaven. It's like we don't want a relationship with God. We just want the heaven at the end. And so that's where a lot of us are at, and that's where a lot of people in the crowd that Jesus is talking to are at. Because it's interesting that soon after Jesus tells the story, somebody in the crowd <laughs> Speaks up, this guy. Um, it says, a ruler. And we know that in, uh, in Matthew Mark, they have the same story um, in, in their accounts of Jesus. And we know that this guy was rich and this guy was young. Okay, so it's just like a young kid, basically. Um, kid meaning like 20s. Okay, so uh, he says, a ruler, this kid asked him, he says, hey, good teacher. All right. so this guy's in the crowd. Actually, Mark tells us that this guy comes running up. Hey, what's up, Jesus? He says, hey, Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy is basically asking us, he's basically asking Jesus to say, hey, what do I got to do to get to heaven? That's a good question. Is it not? That's a pretty good question. That's like the question, the ultimate question. If we had one question, you know, maybe to ask God, that would probably be the most important one, it seems like. And so this is what the, the guy asked him. He says, hey, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And so Jesus answers his question with a question, which he did a lot. He says, hey, by the way, I just noticed something. Um, He's talking to this kid. He says, why do you call me good? He's like, I noticed that you called me good, teacher. Why do you call me good? Because you know that no one is good except God alone. He's like, you know, only God is good, right? Like, it's interesting that you called me good. And what Jesus is doing here is he's challenging this man's view of goodness, Jesus is not saying, hey, why did you call me good? I'm not good. It's not what he's saying, okay? He's saying only God is good and Jesus happens to be God, so that works out for him. And so um, what Jesus is doing is he's challenging the man's view of good knowing that this guy thinks that he's pretty good, like we all do. And by the way, I think this is the biggest obstacle um, to starting a relationship with Jesus, right? And in everybody, okay, at one point maybe in our lives as well, is that we have so much confidence in our goodness. I'm a good worker. I'm a good employee. I'm nice to people. I try my best. You know, I do, I, I, I try to pray. I do the best that I can. But Jesus constantly taught, and I've said this many times, but Jesus constantly taught, you are not good. Jesus was saying that throughout his entire three years. I mean, he's saying, you are not good. We are not good. And Jesus is about to show this guy. He says in the next verse, he says, hey, you know the commandments. So this guy asks, what do I got to do to get to heaven? Jesus is like, hey, interesting. You called me good teacher. Only God is good. And he says, but here's the answer to your question. Uh, You know the Ten Commandments, right? Okay. And a lot of us in here, we probably know Half of them. <laughs> and he says, uh, do not commit adultery. He starts listing some of them off. Uh, Don't commit adultery. Uh, do not murder. That's bad. Don't steal. Do not lie. Honor your father and mother. And do all this stuff. And this guy kind of interrupts him. He's like, oh, Jesus, I was so, I, I, I was hoping you would say that. Because I've actually kept all of those. He's like, I've done that. Interesting that you mentioned the Ten Commandments. I've been following those since I was, since I was a kid. It's, it's so funny to me that this guy, I mean, this is a young guy. He's got money. He's rich and he's young. And, and two seconds almost after Jesus says, hey, by the way, God's only good, here's this guy going. And Jesus starts talking. And he kind of interrupts him. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, God's only good and me too. I'm good too. I've kept all of them. I've done everything that, that you know, I've, I've, I've followed all the rules. See what this guy should have said is, "Oh, are you serious? I got to do, you know, I got to do all those like perfectly? Like I mean, I try, but I have broken a few of those. Like I've lied once or twice in my life." Well, what are you saying? Jesus so I so I so I can't get to heaven? Is that is that what you're saying? But this guy doesn't say that. He says, "Actually, I I've done all that from my youth." He says, "I was just a little kid." Jesus, sweet, awesome. It says when Jesus heard this, he told him, "Hey, here's the deal. You still lack something." says, why don't you do this? Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And after he heard this, this dude, he became extremely sad. You know, some of you guys, this is you, like you can't hide your emotions. You know what I'm talking about? All right, like my daughter, especially kids. kids, kids do this all the time. Like my daughter, um, she'll be like jumping around, happy, you know, doing her thing. And you'll tell her no, and she's like, you know, just cries instantly. It's like an instant thing. She can't hide it. Um, this guy's like that. He's extremely sad. Like, like the people writing this, they're like, oh, yeah, that dude, you should have saw his face. He was sad because he happened to be very sad. Rich. Now, the way we read this and what Jesus said, it really matters because we tend to think that, you know, we, we view this as Christians a lot of times, which is messed up, is we view this as like kind of like Jesus with his buddies kind of on the playground when we were kids. And he's sitting there and some other guy, some other kid comes running up, says, hey, you know, I want to be friends or whatever. And Jesus is like, hey, you know, check this out. Hey, guy he, he points, he like nudges Peter, or John or whoever. And he's like, hey, check this out. This dude thinks he's good. I'm about to, I'm about to show him up. You know, I'm about to show him what's going on here. And so the guy says, hey, what do I got to do? And he's like, hey, just follow some of these commandments. The guy's like, hey, yeah, yeah, I got this. And Jesus like, watch this, watch this. Um, You seriously think you're good? Are you serious right now? Man, you don't know how messed up you are. I'm about to show you. Um, Hey, why don't you do this? Just sell all your stuff and then you can come hang out with me. I told you he's sad. Look how sad he is. You know, it's like how we view Jesus, like kind of as... Like, like he has this attitude of him like, oh, man, you are messed up, even though the guy is messed up. But you gotta read, you got to read this the right way. I mean, it, it matters. Actually, in Mark, um, Mark chapter 10, because he tells us the same story. Mark says, so the guy has already said it. They've already had this conversation. The guy's like, hey, what do I got to do? He says, you know, the Ten Commandments. And the guy says, I've kept all those. And it says, looking at him, it says Jesus looks at him and loved him. And my guess is that Jesus kind of smiles. He's like, man, you're missing it. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell your stuff. Now, Jesus is not saying that everybody in this room, you need to go sell your stuff. All right? Which is good. All right? Glad to hear that. Jesus is saying, hey, he's telling this specific guy, he's saying, hey, you think you're so good, but you haven't even kept the main commandment yet. I haven't even got there. Number one. You know, do not have any gods before me. He's saying, I'm not number one in your life. I'm not, like, like you haven't, you're not as good as you think you are. Like, for this guy, it was money. He's saying, Hey, your money, Jesus is just pointing this out to the guy. All right. He loves him, he cares about him. And he's saying, Hey, you know what your issue is? Your money is more important than me. Your lifestyle is more important than me. By the way, this is for a lot of us in here. This is definitely within our culture, okay? We're the same way. Your comfort, Jesus is saying, is more important than me. And so this guy says, what do I need to do? Jesus says, be good. The guy says, I am good. Jesus says, no, you're not, only I am good. And he points out this guy's problem, that money is in the way. And this guy's like, I don't know if I want to give that up. And then Jesus says this. He says, seeing that he became sad. See, they all saw it. This is Jesus said, man, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about heaven. He says, for it is easier for a camel, okay, to go through the eye of a needle, tiny, than for a rich person to enter heaven or the kingdom of God. He's saying, hey, it's impossible. In this situation, he's just um, using the rich as an example. He says it's impossible for a rich person to save themselves. You can't do it. Just like, by the way, it's impossible for all of us here to get to heaven by ourselves. We cannot do it. You know why? Because we aren't good enough. We're not good enough. And so when the crowd around Jesus, when they hear this, they're just like, wait, what are you saying here? And they even say, they said, those who heard, some of these are his disciples, like they're standing right there. They're like, "Uh, okay, um, then who can be saved? Like, is there any hope out there for anything? And he replies, he says, hey, by the way, what is impossible with man? Yeah, you guys have no hope by yourselves. He says, what's impossible for man is actually possible with God. See, Jesus is like, yeah, yeah. You can't save yourself. You know why? Because you're not good enough. Because God's standard for our lives, unfortunately for us, is perfection. And none of us are there. He says, you can't save yourself, but I can. And ironically, I mean, think about it. Jesus is on his way to take care of that right then and right there. He's making his way towards Jerusalem where he's going to take care of that. And the disciples, they don't have a clue. The disciples, they've been with Jesus for years now, for three years. They don't understand. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what Jesus means by this. They're just like kind of mind-boggling, like, oh, what is he saying? He's not going to. You know, people are going to stop following if you keep saying stuff like that. You know, that's what they're thinking. And he pulls his disciples aside, and he says, he took the 12 aside, and he told them, he says, see, this is what we're doing. He's he's telling them the plan. He's like, we're on our way to Jerusalem, where everything that is written through the prophets, that's the Old Testament, about the Son of Man, that's Jesus, um, will be accomplished. He says, for he, he's talking about himself now. So, for I will be handed over to the Gentiles, and I will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. And after they flog me, they will kill me, and I will rise again on the third day. But his disciples, they're like, they? They're standing around, they're like, they understood none of these things. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Who's going to spit on you? What's going on? Like, they they don't get it. They have no clue. Just like most people around us don't get it. Just like, let's be honest with ourselves, many people in this room, we don't get it. There's so many people I talk to. I talk to a lot of people like in meetings and stuff um, here at the church. And um, the most important thing is like whether we have a relationship with God. I mean, hands down, that's it. That's the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life. So I always try to like check on that because I think it's, Pretty important um, because I care. And uh, one of the questions you know I ask in different ways, but one of the ways you know I'll say, and you've probably heard this before. I've been to church for any amount of time. Is like, hey, if you died this afternoon, you went up to heaven, and you're standing, you know, before God, and God says, "Why should I let you in?" By the way, this scenario is not going to happen. Um, so, but if that were to happen, um, what uh, what would you say? What would be your reasoning? Why should God let you into heaven? And usually, maybe eighty percent, maybe eighty, maybe more than that, percent of the time, all right, it's, they answer with, because I, and right when they say that, they say, because I, and I'm like, that's wrong. That's, because I, you know, am a good person, wrong, because I tried, wrong, because I believe that you existed, wrong, because I did the best that I could, wrong, because I was baptized, wrong, because I went to church, because I prayed a lot, wrong, wrong, wrong. wrong. It's not because we did anything. In fact, everything that we did was just mess everything up. Okay, that's all we did. We get the opportunity to go to heaven because of what Jesus did for us, because of what Jesus was about to do when he's having these conversations just a few short weeks later because he died. And when he died on the cross, as we put him to death, he took on all his sin, all the sin that we made, that that we've committed, and he paid for it. God poured out his wrath on himself for our benefit. Why? I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, I understand the logical reasons behind it. I understand that, well, he had to because he's perfectly just, okay? So anything that we've ever done wrong because, because he's a perfectly just God, he has to be paid for. That's called justice, all right? We just don't, we like justice when it affects other people. We don't like justice when it affects us. And so he's perfectly just, so it has to be paid for, all right? And for us to pay for it is, that's where hell comes in. Hell for eternity, because we're sinning against an infinite God, so it's an infinite punishment. And I totally understand that. Well, he did it technically because he loves us. I just don't understand why he loves us so much. Because that cost him something. See, we don't think about that. He poured out his righteous wrath, the rightful thing that we deserve, on himself. And I think it's the enemy's most successful tactic is to get us to think that we are good and to get us to think that we should trust in ourselves and our goodness and not in Jesus' goodness. That's a big difference. See, it's not Jesus and. so many churches that are like, yeah, 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 trust in Jesus and baptism, communion, go to church, become a member, you know, pay up, just do all these things, be a good person. It's not Jesus and, it's only Jesus. We should want to do the good stuff after we give our lives to Jesus because we want to do what Jesus wants us to do. That has nothing to do with whether we're truly saved or not. And so this morning I want to do something that's a little bit different. We don't do this very often, but I just want to give every single person in this room a chance to give their lives to Jesus um, if you haven't done so in the past. All right? It's not about doing good stuff. It's not about being a good person. It's only about giving our lives to Jesus and starting the relationship with our creator that we were created to have. And so I'm just going to quickly pray just a short prayer. It's nothing you have to pray, you know, out loud. God knows your every thought. You can do this, you know, in your mind and, or, in, you know, in your head. It's not between me and you. It's not between me and, you know, it's not between you and the person who brought you and your spouse or whoever. It's just between you and God. And all you got to do is invite him into your life. So let's all pray real quick. Um, and if you don't know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that if you were to die today, this afternoon on the way home, that you would go to heaven, I not only invite you, I, I beg you to have a conversation with your creator, something like this. God, we, uh, I know that 2,000 years ago you came And when you died on that cross, you paid the price for all of my sin, more than I could ever even count, more than I ever even know, more than I could ever realize. But God, you died for me, and you didn't have to. You chose to voluntarily, and it cost you. God, I want you to be a part of my life. I want to give my life to you. I'm tired of doing life on my own. I'm, trying to, I'm tired of trusting in my goodness or what I think is good stuff in order to somehow impress you. God, I know that you accept me how I am. And you want that personal relationship with me. And I thank you so much. Amen. Something like that. That's all it is. That's all it is. God doesn't make it complicated. It's just we choose. It's this is a decision that we have to make. And every single one of us, we make that decision at some point in our life. By the way, putting that decision off is making the decision. And so I, I'd ask you if you've never done that, do that today. If you did that even here in the service, you, know, you feel like, yeah, okay, I've made the decision, I'm going I'm to follow Jesus. I'm going to get my relationship with God right. Not by doing good stuff, but by growing in my relationship with him. If that's you today, I'd invite you to fill out one of those cards. Write your name on it in the pocket of the chair in front of you. Check the mark. This, there's like a check mark box that says, hey, today I made that decision. Just check that. Throw it in. Nothing big. We're not going to call you and we're not going to show up on your door. We're just going to pray for you. That's it. But I invite you to do that. For the rest of us that we've made that decision at some point in our life and we remember, you know, that time. Um, I, this is all I want you to do for the next week. I want you to think into your life and think how you live your life, you know, on a daily basis and try to figure out, you know, where in your life are you tempted to think that you are good enough? Like what areas in your life do you think that you have under your control so much that you think God is super impressed with you or you think that you know you're just really 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 good because we're not. And if you ask God to start pointing those things out in your life, I'm just saying from experience that God will he'll start poking, you know, poking those holes, he'll start pointing that out. And those are areas that we need to work on. Because even for us, even after we've given our relationship, you know, we started our relationship with God and given our lives over to God, we still have the tendency to think and to trust in our goodness. And we still have the tendency to look at others and say, wow, they're not as good as me. That's messed up. And so work on that. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you for this day. And we ask if there's anybody in here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they'd get that figured out today. Because you don't guarantee us tomorrow. You don't owe us tomorrow. God, we thank you for this church, and it's a new church, and we haven't been here very long, and it's a new mix of people. We thank you for this church family, though, that you brought together. And we thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago, God, on that cross. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.